Welcome back to another episode of Agile Way podcast, where we explore challenges organizations face on their Agile journey. How to become great Scrum Master, how to change your leadership style, or how to embrace agility at the organization level. I'm Suzy Shukova, Agile coach, certified Scrum trainer, and author of the great Scrum Master book and Agile leader book, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm passionate about business agility, organizational culture, and Agile leadership, and that was the reason why I decided to start this podcast, to share with you my experiences and stories from my Agile journey. second series of this podcast focuses on business agility and it's sponsored by Emergence Journal. Today I have a pleasure to host here my very good friend Eve Hanul. I first I met Eve many many years ago on my first uh, conference I was speaking in Kiev and he was part of this uh, community who welcomed me as a newcomer and we've been reaching to each other every now and then at different occasions We host him several times on Agile Prague conference, and there was always something inspirational to learn from him. Eve is a very interesting person. He is one of the most collaborative people I know. He is propagating a pair coaching, pair working. He always brings collaboration in. So, Eve, let's start with a very open question. What is the number one lesson you learned yourself about agility? Wow, that's that's probably the hardest question I ever had to ask, answer, and it's a right a starter. But yeah, I first wanted to to say thank you as well for having me because indeed, um, it's it's been a very nice, um, what I would say, travel or um, thing that we work together so that we 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 keep bumping into each other at multiple conferences. And I love Prague, so I love. Um, check in and everything so I've been there I think the first time when I was 17 or 18 and uh, I love to be there every time so I was really uh, looking forward to talk. so what did I learn um, mostly about agility um, and I think I learned it before I was working with agility but for me agility is a lot about um, about how to deal with with failures and to be transparent about it um, and dealing with failures. For me, Agile, and that is when Agile really stepped in, is uh, I realized, oh, if I want to avoid failures, I can take smaller steps. And the smaller steps I take, I still make mistakes, but the mistakes are smaller because my steps are smaller. And and so it's easier. So if you take a large step, if, you, if you're walking and you take a large step, there is a bigger chance that you will fall. And if you fall, you will trip over. But if you take smaller steps, well, maybe you'll trip also over, but it's so small that there is not such unbalance in your in your body, so it's probably easier. Uh, except maybe if you take two small steps, then you might be... So that, that might be a different thing. And that's actually what, what agility is for me about, is finding the right pace, is finding the right balance. And usually it is uh, taking much smaller steps to, to go forward and to avoid big failures. That's... Uh, that's my answer right now. And what is helping you to find that right balance? Um, for me, a lot of habits. Um, 
I've over the years I've learned that um, I'm really good at creating new habits for myself and for creating new habits for for the people around me. Um, I've learned that in a very young age. I, I love reading. I read uh, I, I I have read many books. Um, and ever since I was young, I remember two years when I was, what is it, 13, 15, something like that, that I read one book every day, which is unhealthy. I cannot advise many people to do that because it was really a kind of addiction. I wanted to finish a book each and every day. And sometimes that meant reading up till three or four in the morning just to finish the book and then to be very sleepy in, in class, of course. Um, and I had to pass repass exams in, in the holiday season because I didn't sleep enough. So there was an unhealthy part of it. But um, I, I created a habit of, of reading. And even still today, you put me somewhere and there is a book, there is a magazine close to me. I will pick it up and start reading without realizing it. And then later on, I started to work. I have less, had less time for reading. I was less interested in fiction because all the books I read when I was young was fiction. And I, if I wanted to read again, I, I really had to look at how could I start reading again? And then uh, someone said, but well, why don't you, you don't need to finish one book in a day. Well, you can just read certain pages a day. And I start doing that. And I, I decided let's, um, let's just read um, 10 pages or 30, I started, I think, with 30 pages a day at that moment, which is an awful lot for most people. But because I didn't have children, my partner at that time was working um, late, a lot of late shifts. So that was a perfect moment for me to read. And that got me back into reading. Since I have kids, 30 pages a day is not possible anymore. But grad, I, I started, I don't, I think when the first was born, I started with just five pages a day and gradually moved again to 10 pages. And this is, this is what, what's been working for me. If I read 10 pages each and every day, whatever happens, then uh, that's 3,600 and, and plus uh, pages in, in a year. And probably in some days I will read more than 10 pages. So it's, it's probably close to 4,000 pages a day I read that way. And that's a lot more than, than most people uh, read in, in a year. And I've learned over the years that I'm really good at doing these kind of things. It's creating small new habits for myself. I just need to realize this is something I want to do. Okay, what's the kind of habit that I need to do? Okay, on a regular basis, every day I do this, every, every week maybe. And once it's bigger than one week, it, it doesn't work for me. I need to do much more on a regular basis. Um, so, for example, when we had our new house, um, I wanted to know uh, about the electricity because we had solar panels. So I wanted to know how much um, do they bring, how much electricity do we use? So I recorded that on a daily basis and it was much very easy for me. I just in the morning when I got up before I got to work, I took a picture of, of the, uh, the counter and that was that's easy. Once I stopped then once I knew more or less what was the um, how much we used, I said, okay, let's record it every week or every month. And that's, that's a lot harder for me to, to keep up every day. That's, that's a lot easier. Um, not sure if that answers your question. Yeah. The regularity and changing your habits and adjusting them, I guess that's the answer, right? And that's very agile uh, answer, I guess, as well. So the personal agility you embraced is uh, there totally. 
So I was just wondering, can you recommend people on their agile journey? Because we're talking about this business agility here, et cetera, how to, how to change organizations, how to help them to understand this agile culture and overall business agility, different leadership style maybe, et cetera. So can you recommend them some of those, from some of those books you read, anything which uh, you find really eye-opening? Eye-opening, uh, I'm, I'm not sure when this will be published and if the, the book will be out, but I'm, I'm uh, reviewing a book or I just finished reviewing a book from Joshua Karyowski that's called uh, The Joy of Agile, or at least the working title is The Joy of Agile, uh, which I really love. It's full of small little stories. It reminds me of the, the patterns. The, it it's, looks like patterns. I don't know if you know the book Fearless Change from uh, from Linda Rising and Marilyn. I'm sorry, I can't come up with her last name right now. Um, but um, yeah, they wrote a, a very nice book about change patterns. And, and that was also small little stories, small little things in it. And, um, and this book reminds me a lot of that. Um, and this is for me where what I like about or what I want to do with business agility for me, business agility, if we want to scale agile at business level, if you want to think at that level, it all starts with personal agility. The, I have a workshop that actually haven't, um, I've created it like 15 years ago, um, that, that was called personal agility. And there were actually a few CEOs in my, in, in the workshops that I've done at that time sometimes smaller companies, sometimes half big. It's not like uh, that they were from 5,000 um, uh, people companies, but still uh, there was one from, from a thousand people companies, so not a very small company either. Um, and they, they really loved it because of the, yeah, they, they're learning new habits. They look at how they organize themselves. And for me, the better they are organized, the better the organization will be organized and the better they understand what it means to be agile and to, to what it is agility. So one example, I was doing um, an exercise that, that came from a book, um, um, Getting Things Done. Um, and in Getting Things Done, the, um, one of the exercises is, okay, everything that's in your head that you need to do, start to write it down. And in this workshop, we gave index cards, so a pack of index cards to each and every one. And, um, and that one of the CEOs uh, said to me, like, Eve, but yeah, I have so much things in my head. I said, don't worry, just write it down. And I said, yeah, but 100 cars, it's, it's, it's too much. And so don't worry, we have enough cars if you need more or whatever. And, and he laughed a little bit saying, oh, there's not 100 things in my head. But it turned out he needed more cars. He had like more than 120 things in his head that were all for him very important and needed to be done like almost right now. Uh, which is of course impossible because you can, he and during the day he we, we always say keep the the deck on your cart and if you think about other things keep keep adding things and I think he ended the day with 150 cards because he kept asking more cards and then writing down salt stuff and it made him realize how how vulnerable his system was because of course you cannot think about 150 things at the same time. It also made him realize that some of the things that he wrote down in the first place were not that important that a lot of other things that he kept forgetting. And so that was, that was a very good exercise for him to realize, okay, and probably if I'm doing this with my life, with my time, how will it be with the rest of my company? Because typical, I believe very hard in something that Jim McCarthy calls team equals product, and that is every problem you find in a product you will also find in the team 
and it works by, um, in, in the opposite direction as well. And for me, a CEO is the team and his, his product is the company, or at least at multiple levels, you can say that his team is maybe the, the management team. But all the problems you find at that higher level, you will find earlier on. It's kind of a version of, of Conway's law, how these things interact with each other. And that's exactly what happened in this company, because with this CEO, and I don't mention his name or, or his company, but that was exactly the problem. He had so much stuff in his head and he was going all over the place. And actually one, and one of the debriefs I had with him later, not in front of the class, but later, I asked him also, could there be that your company is trying so many things and you don't have a focus? And he just looked at me and he said, you have been talking to some of my my employees or what that's the biggest re remark i get in inside my company that we don't have a focus now of course that was very visible for me because he had so much things on on his head so yeah that's for me personal agility is very crucial for me if you want to go uh, at uh, at business agility and that works at every level you don't need to be a ceo to do that it's actually a workshop that was very popular among uh, product owners because product owners they need to put the priorities for the team and it's i don't know if how how that is for you Susie, but for me i know a lot of product owners who are who might be good at setting priorities for their team but they're not so good for setting priorities for themselves where to spend their time first because product owners are some of the busiest people in inside companies and if they don't have a system to to have their everything together for themselves their teams will suffer or their team depending on yeah how it's organized and that's actually a, a very true and i'm using it for myself i always have this big group of post-it cards here right and always when I have some idea, I just write it down and put it somewhere. And then I look at it and say like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And just narrow it down. But actually visualizing it is always uh, helping me to sort of uh, make up my mind. Like, do I really want to do it or not? So this writing and throwing it away is a usually very healthy process, at least for me. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of companies are talking about efficiency, though. We need to be more efficient. So what are your thoughts about this? I'm a big believer in, um, in, in first focusing on effectiveness and work in, limiting work in progress is, is part of that. We want to work on so many things. Like I said before, now, if you limit the number of things, you, you have a better focus. And uh, I prefer that people know much more what direction they want to go. If you have a focus, if you know what to do, and if you first make sure that you, you're very effective, that you do what you say you want to do and you're able to achieve it, then only you can go for trying to make it faster. I forgot who, it, it's one of the DXP people who, who said like, first make it work, then make it right, then make it faster. Uh, faster. So that's the kind of mantra I believe in. Uh, it should work. If it doesn't have to work, yeah, okay, I can do it very quickly because it doesn't have to work, but then it's useless. But once it has to work, of course, I first to make sure that it works, then I can optimize, which is um, in code that would be with, with refactoring kind of things. Um, and then we might optimize to do things faster, but only after we're sure that it works, after we're sure that the code looks nice and that it's, uh, and not just nice, but it, it's maintainable. And only when we have code that is easy to read and everything there, 
then we can look at speed again. And what I've noticed in most of the companies, CEOs, and I say C-level, but it could be just any kind of management level, if they understand that we first want to be effective, usually the desire for efficiency goes away because they, they ask for a lot of efficiency because they're not able to achieve anything. They think about putting out more in the market and more. But yeah, if, if I can put out the good thing in the market, then the speed is, is less important. I don't remember who said that, but it, I think it's another mantra that is known a lot that people say, we don't remember the date that we deliver something. We, we do remember if it was good or bad quality. And if people deliver uh, one week late, they'll probably not remember. I'm not going to say that it's never the case. We, you, we will all, probably all, if we think hard enough, find out one moment that some kind of software was delivered late. But in most cases, that's not important. A deadline for me, for example, which is the typical thing that is used for, we need to get the deadline and we need to be very efficient and we need, yeah, there's nobody dying in at the end of most deadlines. So it's an arbitrary deadline that somebody set. And I prefer to first make sure that I know what to deliver. I will make the deadline, and but I will make it by delivering less, but making sure that what I deliver is of good quality. And then we can add more to it. And that, that is for me much more important. There's a few exceptions. If you want to create software and hardware to go to the moon or to go to Mars, there is a very specific time frame where you can launch rocket missiles uh, to make sure that you, you get in the right orbit and whatever. So then there is a deadline. If you have, what is it? If you create software for tax purposes in a country, well, it needs to be ready before the, the, the people have to start giving in their taxes and stuff like that. So there are some real deadlines that are important. But in most cases, it's an arbitrary deadline. And, and the drive for efficiency around that is a similar kind of fake for me. I was sort of wondering, he was speaking about the code and how to make it clean, etc. And uh, I remembered you've been running some kids uh, camp and teaching kids uh, how to do the programming. So what can we learn from that experience? Yeah, I, I've, I've stopped doing coach, uh, Coder Dojo, but I've done it for five years um, indeed. Well, what we teach children, and that goes back to what I said in the beginning, what we teach children is also with very small steps. So my daughter um, was one of these children at some point who, who joined in and, and she learned how to code in, um, in Scratch, which is um, a language, it's not really a language, which you have to uh, move blocks around in the right order to, to do something. When she did that, uh, this is very small thing. So you, you create one small thing and then she moved to, um, and then I, I mean, after a couple of years, she moved to learn um, Arduino. So that is a very small hardware piece um, where she can um, yeah, learn to program a little bit and create um, uh, a traffic light, for example, or let, let she created at some point a, a mini piano. Um, and to, to that there were some strange buttons and when you pressed on it, it made, it made notes. And it's a very interesting thing to do. And at some point she went to um, an event just for girls. So this was just yeah, emphasize, okay, girls can code as well. And so there is um, an event with, I think more than hundred girls, only women who, um, who did the facilitation. I on purposely stayed out of it because I really thought this is good the, the, that the girls see 
that there is actually a lot of women also know, um, doing this and and then teach them because they they don't see enough in in our coach um, coder dojo. There were only two women who were facilitating. We worked hard on it later on, but at that time there were only two. Um, so it was very good for, for girls to see that. But the problem with the Arduino in that workshop was that it was one large workshop of three hours. And she made a mistake, I think probably in the first five minutes, but she could only test it after an hour or two or three hours. And so, um, she's and she went rather quick because she had some experience already she went rather quick and then she was stuck because it didn't work and she had no idea where where she went wrong what she did wrong and she spent half an hour uh, and then later with one of the um, the coaches they spent a lot of time trying to find the book and they couldn't find it or it took them like almost an hour before they found it so I'm driving back and she's with her in the car and she was really frustrated and it is too long or whatever. And she made the reflection herself already. Wait a minute. If I learn something in Kota Doja in, in our hometown, we always do small little steps. And when we have this, then we do the next step and then we do the next step and then we do the next step. And I'm not sure if I'm really part of that because this is how I think and, and, and this is how I, I train. Uh, well, grown-ups just as, as kids and um, but I think also with kids who learn something from the very first time you need to take these small steps so for scratch there was I don't think there's much more possible ways to do that with Arduino especially the coach that was doing that at, uh, at the girls camp she, yeah there was a coach who, who did one large exercise and one large exercise of course if you have experience you can do that in half an hour to an hour so that's that's rather quick um, but still if you're completely new or if you make a mistake in the beginning, it, it makes it just really hard. And then the and so she was frustrated and she gave that feedback back. And I, I wrote an email to that um, to the organization saying, look, this is some feedback from uh, I think she was 11 years old at that time or something like that. And they liked her feedback because it was also a positive written in a way that, look, this this would work better for me that the next year they asked her if she wanted to do the workshop. And and so I, I she was like, well, I don't know. And, and I challenged her and she said, I have no idea. But actually, she had an idea. She said she had an idea already in the car the year before. She could just turn the big exercise that she got into a smaller exercise with steps um, for every five minutes. And that's exactly what she did. Um, and she created a workshop with that, which I think is perfectly what, what children need. For me, I wouldn't do it any different way for, for an adult as well. So in, after, after a while, we turned it into an actual book that people can download and even can buy on Amazon.com. But for me, the, the whole thing is, and that's to come back to, to business agility, that's what we need to do, smaller steps and, and going with these things. And everything we talked about, I think it, it's all related to taking smaller steps efficiency effectiveness it's also let's take a step know it's working then we can go to the next step then we can go to the next step and once we have it running okay then we can see if we need to automate it to to make things faster or whatever so there is a lot of things that are happening there um and i see if i if i link it back for example to um what happened in, in the COVID? We're we're still well we're almost at the end of a lockdown in belgium not sure how it is in other countries um, but we're gradually getting out of the lockdown. 
But what I've seen in, in a lot of companies and, and especially two major companies that I've been helping in the lockdown is that, um, well, there is a lot of, um, how would I say it, distrust from management to with workers. That That's part of it. It's not all with all managers and not everywhere, but there is part of that. And there is also part of, okay, um, how do we meet? How do we know what people are doing? How do people um connect to each other because we're we're in a lockdown so we need to to find ways to communicate and let's face it we were not organized before it so re remote working is a completely different way but what i see is that a lot of people end up with completely full agendas um where before developers had some still some time left, they were already sometimes complaining in large companies. Now I see a lot of people and also managers that have full agendas and to trying to be efficient, they, they book half an hour, sometimes 50 minute slots. And because if they were walking around in the company, they would just walk around and then have a, have a talk with me, have a talk with you, have a talk with someone else. And, and so very quickly, they, they will have a feel of what things are going on. But they cannot do that. So they don't know how to contact people. And if you don't have the tools set up and uh, there's so now they, they book meetings. And so meetings, 15 minutes there, 20 minutes there. But if there is an emergency, they don't have any time anymore because their agendas are booked. And I've noticed that that's because of something I've seen also when we moved from a whiteboard with post-its to an electronic board, actually, um, when, when we did that move, a whiteboard, like you said before, Susie, the, if you put your, um, your post-its on a whiteboard, there is a limit there. You cannot go over the whiteboard. You can put it on the wall, but the wall also has limits. I hope you don't put the whole wall with post-its, but even then there is a limit. Jira, Rally, all these other tools, even Trello, you can put as many post-its, as, as much work on it as possible. So there is no limit there, physical limit anymore. And so we put the same things on it and similar kind of thing happens in the agendas. When we had meetings before, there was a physical limit. That is the number of meeting rooms we had. And, and if the meetings room were full, it's kind of hard to book another meeting. We could then do it somewhere in the coffee corner, but still that kind of not possible. And now what I see, a lot of people have one-on-ones and they schedule it so much, their agenda might be full. But now I might have meetings with 15 different people on the same day instead of one large meeting with all of them. And so the agendas are, are filling in much more than they used to before. And that is something that, that I see. And like I said, sometimes it's out of distrust from managers. Sometimes it's not that they distrust it, but they just want to look for a way how to, yeah, to know what's going on um to, to see if they can help in, in a positive way or whatever but it, it's filling their time and for me then it becomes a risk i've seen a lot of people uh, that are risking to go in a burnout for that because there's so much going on uh, because they don't find any any balance anymore and i think agile and that's something i've been talking about for a few years um, agile is a big risk for the um, for people going into burnout in the sense that the 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 best people the people who always want to do good um we did before if it's um, on a waterfall project or another kind of project every six months delivery you can work really hard but kind of oh, yeah 
it, it, there is a risk of burnout, but now you have to deliver every two weeks. And we ask too much because we want to be very efficient to go back to, to the other question you had before. And, and people push on so more and the real good people, they want to, how would I say it? They want to deliver even more than what's been asked, but there is already been asked too much. So they peak. And if you if you would peak every six months, then you, you peak a little bit in the beginning, then there is a little bit dip. And at the end, you, you have a high peak. But that's, well, it's, it's every six months or something like that now. But now you have such a peak every two weeks. And that puts a lot of stress on, on, on a lot of people. And uh, I've seen that um, in some environments remote that it's even worse because people don't have any connection anymore with, with their people, uh, with the people around them. And they want to prove even more that they've done a good time. If you, if you have a healthy environment, I actually think um, it, the remote work is much healthier in the sense that, um, for example, if I have to go to the office with my current client in the morning, it takes at least an hour in the evening, also an hour. It might take me in the morning up to two hours if I have bad luck. So I might lose three to four hours just in traffic um, on, on a bad day. Of course, if I win that every day, my life is much healthier because I, I can do it in a, in a different balance. I can sleep better. I can, if I have to get up in, in the morning to go to Brussels, I get up one hour earlier than if I, if I would work from home. And if I work from home, I would actually be uh, online half an hour earlier than I am when I'm trying to get to the office and I still sleep more. So, uh, and it, there, there is a different kind of thing, but for me, it works. Partially because I'm really good with the habits and partially because I, I make very good um, care of my time. And I have also a partner who warns me again, if, wait a minute, there is there needs to be um, some balancing time. And another thing that, um, again, going back to personal agility, one of the things I do is each and every Friday, I take half an hour to an hour and I over the years, I've changed it a little bit. It used to be on a Sunday. Now it's more on a, on a Friday. But I take half an hour to an hour to really plan my next week. Look back at my previous week. How full was my agenda? All these things that were planned, were they really that important? Or were they just urgent but not important? So I look at back at these kind of things. I look forward to my, uh, my next week and I say, okay, how much time is there free available for important things? Is it planned? Do, do I work on the most important things and, and things like that? I'm, and if I don't do that, I feel it immediately at the end of a Friday or even a Thursday or Wednesday, I might already feel like hmm, I didn't plan well, like last week or I skipped it because I thought everything was going well. And actually it's not. So small steps, you know, getting a feedback, reflecting back inspecting adapting that's all sounds very familiar at least to me now are we all doing it uh, that's a question which everybody needs to answer all right i have my last question which i tend to ask everybody so what do you think is the future of this uh, agile where is it going 20 years from now how it's gonna look like i find that a very very hard question um it's, um, I thought the first question was the hardest, but this might be even harder. So, so thank you for um, making me reflect on these things. Um, there's multiple things there. 
I've been thinking a lot lately about agile community. So there is that aspect and agile as such. I think agile is really good. If you look right from the start, they're really good at taking ideas from everywhere, mixing it and, and looking for the things that are working well together. XP, where I came from, first thing that was published about XP was again, also somewhere in one of the, the mailings or something about patterns. And there were really patterns that working well together, Scrum in a sense, was I think that was in, in the same kind of time frame published also. We're now talking about late 90s or something like 95, 96, something like that. And so we're really good at that, looking what's working well. And um, what I've missed the last years is, uh, and what I hope that the next years will be have much more focus on again, is uh, more of the, the technical part. And now I'm talking really if we want to work at software, that yeah software then we need to find other ways to also enhance it i have a nice book um that is uh, that we've been promoting i think now for two or three years that i read about um uh, your code as a crime scene so really looking in a different way at code really at yeah it's, it's um, a very interesting way of, of looking at code with patterns again and looking from from at the meta level can we a little bit like um yeah like researchers are doing for for crime scenes especially for when there's multiple murders they look for patterns are they similar are they different can we okay if there is a, a murder there and a murder there what's the the circle of where it is so where could that murderer live probably in the neighborhood and things like that and they look they use similar kind of patterns to look for bugs and to find bugs in github systems and and all kind of things so i think we will see a lot of improvement there um i hope also ai and other software can help us figure out more on, on quality so on a technical level um but of course that's that's purely agile and in, in, in software um, at the same time, I see a lot more in using agile ideas all over the world in, in what, what I would say non-software. I see it in healthcare. I see it in, in, in data AI governance and things like that. Sociocracy has some ideas. Sociocracy 3.0 has some ideas on, um, yeah, on how to do that on agile ideas. I see beyond budgeting that kind of, was created also 10 years, I don't know, 20 years ago, maybe already. But so there's a lot of these ideas who kind of grew at the same time. And now we kind of uh, all see each other and then say, okay, this is working. I see companies starting to using OKRs, objective and key results. So at that level, there is also something about agility because OKRs for me work really well together with um, with Agile because we're looking at where do we want to go and how will we do metrics to achieve all that kind of stuff. And so I see a lot of movement there. Um, at the same time, what we've sometimes lost a little bit for me is, is diversity in, in a lot of uh, projects. Um, there is, um, if you look back at, we're starting to have more women now again in IT in Belgium. So it's the, the numbers are gradually growing, but there were a lot lower for a few years than when I was studying um, almost 30 years ago now. So that we need to get back at. Um, if I look at the, the agile community, for example, I still 
think it's way too Western and European. There are, um, and well, what you're doing in Eastern Europe is in a sense already, you're reaching out to the world because that I think this is already bigger than before, before it was mostly Western Europe and, and even more America. Um, I, I'm really happy that both the Scrum Alliance and the Agile Alliance are working really well to have uh, conferences in different parts of the world. Agile India, I've been to, to one, which is one, it's a wonderful conference. There are similar things going on in Africa. So there's, there's a lot of work that is, is going on there, but there still needs to be a lot of work there. It, one of the books that, that I've been written, who is Agile, I made really hard, tried to make it as much women in there as, as men, and I didn't achieve in, in that in the first edition. We even made the mistake uh, when there was a spin-off version for, for Africa that there were actually almost only, only white people in there. And it, I only realized it a few years later. I didn't even notice it. That's how stupid it was because that small little team, we didn't, we didn't pay attention. Or I, I don't want to blame anyone else. I just didn't pay attention myself, which is yeah something I should have noticed it. Okay, we're working really hard to fix it right now. But I think... We need to do that because what I've learned over the years is that uh, it's not that there's no more good ideas coming from from US and, and Europe, but there are so many other things coming out of the rest of the world. And so I think Agile will will move on in, in bigger parts of the world and will learn from what it means to work at that space. Um, and so I think there is a lot more movement there. Um, I think the Agile community, we... Yeah, we need to make sure, and Chris Matz calls this, uh, we have a community of um, of solutions and we have a community of, it's not the right wording, but there are a community of problems or something like that. And the, the solution part is that, okay, we want to sell things to the world, but the real Agile community, what Chris says, and I, I strongly am a strong believer of that, is that this, the real Agile community is about solving problems and, and, and trying to see, okay, you have a problem, how can we help with that? Much less about the selling part. And I think we need to find um, a better balance again at, uh, at some of these Agile conferences. So there is, we need to connect back to the people because there's still a lot of people on the floor working really hard and creating new stuff but they're less connected with the agile community and i i find that a shame because this is where i learn i learn from these people thank you very much for your thoughts it's been very inspirational i i yeah i always love talking and you probably noticed or the people on the podcast might notice that i might be uh, talking a little bit uh, too long about some of these questions but like I said, they were really hard questions and they make me think really hard. So thank you for that, because that's one of the things that I like talking to you. Mm -hmm. You always make me think. So that's um, that's what I like about meeting you in person or um, or virtual. All right. You always let me think as well. I have a couple of my post-its on the wall anyway. So thank you very much. It's been very inspirational. I have some uh, new post-its on my wall. And in a summary... Agility is a lot about how to deal with failures and how to be transparent about it. Taking small steps, finding the right pace and the right balance. It's also about finding the right habits. Now, personal agility is very critical if you go to the business agility. 
Organizations often focus on efficiency, but from experience. The efficiency is not that important. It's not about delivering more. But what can really make a difference is to be able to put the right things on the market. Now, when we deal a lot with remote working, remote environment brings more stress very often. There is distrust, people are overbooking their agendas, can't find the balance, and often feel they have to prove they are working hard as they lost all the connections to the other people. They feel they have to show they are efficient. Working remote requires even higher level of personal agility, so you can work in small steps, look back, inspect and adapt. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Agile Way podcast hosted by Zuzi Shekhova, author of the Great Scrum Master book and Agile Leader book. If you love listening to this podcast, please leave us a review. If there is any topic you are particularly interested in and would like to hear another episode on it, let me know. For more information about me and my Agile classes, visit our website sokhova.com S-O-C-H-O-V-A.com Thank you for listening. Thank you.